0: You're listening to the big show on the official home of your Calgary Flames, Sportsnet 960 The Fan.
1: We're into hour number three. It's the big show in the morning, Sportsnet 960 The Fan. My name is Matt Rose. Patty Dumas sitting in for George Russick today. George, you'll be back tomorrow after 10 days off. Rested, recuperated, ready to go. Alex Brody, Garrett Vanderploeg in the other room helping us keep this thing on the tracks. And we're live from the Doug Lacey Basement Systems downtown studio. Cracked foundation? Boeing foundation walls? We have a simple, permanent solution to stabilize your foundation. Contact basement systems. They're all things basement. you visit dlbasementsystems.com. Big hour coming up around the corner. We're going to chat with Peter Galindo, live from Qatar. Sportsnet soccer columnist. Chat about Canada, who was eliminated from the World Cup after a 4-1 loss to Croatia just after 8.30. But right now, we go down the Alice Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline to chat with Greg Wyszynski, ESPN senior NHL writer. Good morning, Greg. Thanks for joining us today.
0: My pleasure. Thanks for having me.
1: Yeah, happy to have you. Uh, lots to get into. the Cal- Let's start with the Calgary Flames, a little bit of a local note here and dive into uh, several other prominent NHL storylines as we roll on. But the Flames completing a six-game Eastern Conference road trip, a season-long six-gamer. They lose the last two games in Washington, shutout 3 nothing. in Carolina. They lose 3-2. to What are you seeing with the Calgary Flames that you think might be the, the source of some of their struggles right now?
0: Well, you know, I, I, I think what everybody is seeing is what I'm seeing, which is that uh, there's effort, but there's not execution, and it kind of sends a chill down your spine when you read uh, comments from I believe it was Daryl Sutter the other day kind of pinpointing it, um, which is that when you lose the number of 40 goal scorers that they lost in the offseason um, and a, a line that obviously was one of the best goal-generating scoring, generating, uh, goal generating lines in the league, it's, it's a matter of execution. And it's hard to find that again. And I think that was our fear is that for all of the work that Bradshaw Living did to steady the ship and plug the holes and keep this thing sailing forward, um, that's a lot of goals to go walking out that door, and uh, it was going to be hard to find the, the finishing uh, that left with Gaudreau and that left with Kachuk, and and then obviously that you know they generated on that line. So that's kind of what I'm seeing right now is they're they're pushing forward. There's some fundamental things they're doing right, but uh, just not getting the results offensively. And and it's a tough thing in that division, man. I think you know as as you look at the standings, the ascension of the uh, of the Seattle Kraken was maybe not something we all had on our radar this year. Um, but they look legit, and, and all of a sudden the path of the playoffs gets a little bit more complicated if they're legit.
1: I think going back to even training camp, a lot of was discussed about the Flames. Yep, probably need to add a scoring winger to this group as well. Um, do you like the idea of the Flames going out and, and trying to acquire something? Although it is a team that you're at the cap, so you have to try and get a little bit creative or, or close to the cap at <laughs> least. Just a thought on perhaps the Flames trying to attack the trade market to deal with some of these scoring woes.
2: I don't think
0: it's a bad idea. I mean, again, if the issue is finishing, you need to get yourselves yourself the finishers. And, and, and really, that's the thing. Of course, problem being is that players that can put the puck in the net are at a premium, um, and also players that can put the puck in the net on teams that are willing to move them now are going to be at a premium because uh, everyone outside of maybe a couple teams that are starting to descend down the standings to where we thought they'd be probably still believe they have a shot in this thing. So trying to acquire that player at this point in the season is always a tough a tough gig. And then on top of that, like you said, the cap complications make it even tougher.
1: So dive into some of the other teams uh around the NHL you had mentioned that Pacific Division and uh the Flames (laughs) currently fifth, twenty one points, a point back of the Oilers, actually tied with the Canucks, both teams with twenty one points. But the Kraken at 29, they're 13-5-3 to start the season. They've won five games in a row for the second time this year. What is it about the Kraken that has seen them turn around and be a team that has a plus-15 goal differential just 21 games into the season?
0: So if you asked the Kraken last year about their season, and I think we all thought it was a bit of a disappointment. I don't know if that's uh, viewing them through the Vegas goggles of here's what an expansion team should be in year one, or, or simply just our own expectations separate from what Vegas did on what the Kraken roster should have produced. we go to them and say, hey, listen, Kraken, what happened? And, uh, and do you think maybe your coach is a problem? And they'd come back and say, no, 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 no. Fundamentally and analytically, we're playing well. It's just that every time we take a step forward, we uh, leap backward because, one, our roster is a bit of a donut. We don't have a lot in the middle. And more importantly, we couldn't get a save. Like this, The, the goaltending issue last year for the Kraken was devastating. They finished with the worst team save percentage in the league, courtesy of, of Philip Grubauer mostly. And uh, and so anything that they did positive to build momentum was undercut by terrible goaltending. Fast forward a year, and Maddie Beniers has transformed the center spot. If you look at the way that roster is built, they needed a player like that to come in. They're so stacked on the wings with veteran talent, um, with, you know, Barakovsky and Jaden Schwartz, players like that, that they needed somebody in the middle that could really kind of coalesce, coalesce that thing. And Veneers has been bad. I think him and Logan Thompson are probably your leaders for the Calder right now. Sure. And they're getting saves. And the shocking part is they're getting saves from a guy who didn't save much in the last mm. few years in Martin Jones, <laughs> right? So he came to the rescue in the first quarter of the season when Drew Barrow was out. Um, Who knows if the goaltending is going to hold? It's not like they've been great. I I think they're around like 22nd in league in save percentage right now, but a few saves and a transformative rookie performance by a center and all of a sudden the Kraken looked like what they should have been last year
1: and the wildest part about that goaltending situation is the fact that yeah Martin Jones probably would have been the third guy in line to get any starts whatsoever and Grubauer goes down <laughs> yeah. Drager goes down and all of a sudden oh now we have a number one goalie he was our third guy in line we're chatting with Greg Ruszynski senior ESPN NHL writer my name is Matt Rose he's Patty Dumont
3: uh, Greg, talk about the Winnipeg Jets for now. They uh, they had a game there on Friday against the Dallas Stars where Connor Hellebuck uh, had his mask knocked off after uh, I believe it was Josh Morrissey bumped uh, J- Jamie Bannon into him, I think it was, and the mask fell off and then uh, he complained about it saying the pl- uh, play should have been blown dead. Uh, Stars score on that. What is your take on that? Uh, with the player that gets run in by his own player, should it be called dead even with his mask off? The, the rule says it should go on if there's. But Hellebuck says there was a bunch of passing that had to be made before the goal went in.
0: I think it's insane that if a goalie's mask comes off, we keep playing. And, and I know why. I know why the rule exists. I know the rule exists because we're going to have goalies are sneaky creatures. Yeah. I mean, we we're watching all of the chicanery and. In uh, in in Toronto with Matt Murray and the, the post, post and the did he or didn't he? Yeah, I mean like it's so it's become a whole thing I mean, and goalies are sneaky. I mean my my God, they're the only player on the ice that wears a piece of equipment literally called the cheater. Um, so I understand why I understand why they have the rule in place. That being said, I mean if you're talking about one of the most fundamental safety precautions in the National Hockey League, that Universally, we all agree was a was a good innovation. It's the goalie mask. <laughs> yeah. no one wants anyone to look like that photo of Jacques Plante back in the day, where his face was huh. carved up like a like a, Looks like like a serial killer from an, from a horror movie. Yeah, <laughs> so like so like the idea that we're going to play on if a goalie loses his mask is insane. Um, despite obviously, we all know that, that you know they're going to try to pull stuff. But I think I think Hellebuck and any goalie that loses his mask and and play continues has a legit gripe.
3: Uh Metropolitan Division, this uh, the New Jersey Devils, man. I know you're close with the Devils and everything. Like they have a chance tonight to become the best team in the in the league. Uh, thirty-eight points with a chance to beat the Rangers tonight. But they're doing it in a way like J- jack Hughes is coming off a hat trick. They're doing it in a way that the, this like I grew up watching the Devils. This was a, this was a Jacques Lemaire type team. This was a defensive structure. This is Martin Brodeur, this was a strong defensive league. Trap. They could trap exactly. They couldn't get it going. And once they got Kovalchuk, it, it went out the window. But nowadays, it's like the offense is going. This team is on fire, man.
0: Yeah, I know. It's it's, and I agree with you, man. It's like it's jarring, right? It's it's like watching, (laughs) it's like watching the, you know, it's it's like it's like if all of a sudden, you know, the Chicago Bears became like a run and gun West Coast offense team. Like it doesn't fit. It doesn't. Our brains can't process it. And and I've tried to been telling people like, you know, because there's a few double fans I know that have kind of fallen out with the team a little bit because of how bad they've been since like the last you know, five or six years, I'm like, you've got to get back into it now because not only are they winning, but the, it's the way that they're playing that's winning, uh, that, that's exciting. I mean, it's like you said, it's speed, it's transition. It, Jack Hughes, the reason Jack Hughes has become this just incredible player for them is that he's figured out the defensive side of the game. Mm-hmm. He's no longer trying to press the, the pedal down and, and get in the offensive zone and make plays and then, and then freaking out when he discovers that he's made uh, he's given the, the a team uh, an opportunity the other way like he's learned how to be a pickpocket i had a, a scout tell me the other day the way he plays reminds them of the way mark stone plays sometimes hmm. with his ability to take pucks off of other players so they're playing fundamentally strong defense that is feeding their offense and my god their offense is gorgeous to watch i mean the thing about the Devils, it's twofold. One, one, like we talked about with the Kraken, they didn't get any saves last year. They had like mm-hmm. nine different goalies that played because of injury and various things. And low-key, Vitek Vanacek, um, along with Martin Jones and along with Vili uh, Huso, are probably the three best goalie acquisitions of the offseason. Those guys have been great. And um, the other thing about them, too, is that they didn't really have their sort of holy trinity of players healthy at the same time much last year. I think uh, Jack Hughes... Nico Heischer and Dougie Hamilton rolling in the, in the lineup together for like 27 games last season mm. um, because of injury. So to have all those three guys healthy at the same time, you can kind of see what this team is capable of. And, you know, fingers crossed. My, my issue with Jack is always that, like, even if he's gotten a little bit bigger, he still weighs like 80 pounds. Yeah. <laughs> <So> like, there's <laughs> always going to be a fear that he's going to be a point-per-game guy. But the point-per-game is going to be like, you know, 65 points in 55 games because mm. he can't stay in the lineup. But so far, so good for him and the devil.
1: One of the most intriguing things for me with this Devils roster is of their 12 forwards, they only have three players that are signed past this season. Mercer's got one more year on his ELC, and then Hughes and Heisher are signed for the foreseeable future with the Devils. The rest are all UFAs or RFAs, and maybe the most intriguing is Jesper Bratt, an RFA who has had some tough contract negotiations with the Devils in his Few years in the league now, at 24 years old, he's having just an, an amazing season once again. A, a great start; he's already up to 25 points in just 22 games. What is the next contract going to look like for Jesper Brad, and is it going to be in Jersey?
0: <laughs> I mean, tough negotiations is probably sugarcoating it. I mean, he is <laughs> they they have, they have gone to war over over the details of these deals. And like you said, I mean, he's he's an RFA with with um, arbitration eligibility after the season. So I mean, he is a controllable asset. That's the good news for the Devils. The bad news is that um he's proven himself to be a fundamentally important piece of this team. I, I mentioned the uh the three the Triple H of the of the Devils before. I mean he's he's the fourth guy. Like he's he's part of that core of this team, that foundation of this team. So you have to find a way to keep him in the fold. The problem being is that the the negotiations with, with him and his uh his representation have been so difficult in the last two cycles that you wonder if they can find common ground on a long term deal to keep him in Jersey, the devils have said to me that they want they want to keep him you know they' they're trying to find a way to get him there long term, but they obviously had a number in mind that brat didn't agree with, and, and now, based on what he's been able to do the last two seasons, my God, I can't even imagine what number he's mm-hmm. got bratts people have in mind now, so it's going to be tough, but l- but like you said, they are very, very set up. Um, to to keep a, a really good young core together and kind of augment them with veterans. Um, you know, that they, like you said, they're, you know, Tatar, I think, is the USA, Miles Wood, Eric Walla. They have a couple of guys that they can move on from if they want to or bring them back. It's good flexibility. And that's really been the secret to their success, too. I mean, their cat flexibility. Jonas Siegenthaler and John Moreno have been two of their best defensemen this season um, and have allowed them to play the style that they play. Um, were both acquisitions made because they had the cap space to take them all off of the Capitals and the and the Penguins when those two teams were capped out? So um, they've set themselves up really well contractually and from a cap perspective as well.
3: Talking with Greg Masinski, ESPN NHL senior writer. Now the Boston Bruins they're uh, tied with the New Jersey Devils atop the Eastern Conference at 36 points. They set the NHL record for most wins uh, to start a uh, campaign at home. Uh, now they uh, there's a lot of rumblings that. This team, they, a lot of people didn't have a, thought, a lot of love at them because they were hurt, they were beat up, but they've come out. New coach, Jim Montgomery, changed a lot of things there. Charlie McAvoy coming back early. Brad Marchand coming back early. Now, you know, there's, there's rumors, there's rumblings. What does this team maybe perhaps get a Bo Horvat or something like that to just put them over the top? Is that something <laughs> that Boston should possibly probably be looking at?
0: They should be looking at every possibility to put, yeah. to, to load up. I mean, this, this is the year, man. I mean, you know, Patrice Bergeron comes back, kind of puts the stamp on the team, says, yeah, I believe this group can, can, can win, even though, you know, it might be time for me to kind of move on. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that was enough for me to say, okay, there's something here. And, you know, the the misjudgment I think we all had about the Bruins it was threefold. One was the Mon- to Jim Montgomery hiring. I, I love Jim Montgomery. Yep. I'm really happy that he's but able to put his life back together because I think he's a very, very talented coach and and immediately um, not only has has given them better structure offensively and defensively, but you ask all the Bruins to a man and they'll tell you that the way that he's been able to keep them accountable but also kind of bring a little joy back in the room has been a really interesting balance that he's struck and is fundamentally why they've been able to be as good as they've been. Uh, the second is the return of David Krejci, uh, mm-hmm. who reset their depth chart at center and is a guy who understands the culture um, of that room as good as anybody and still obviously has a lot left in the tank. And the third thing was the acquisition of Hampus Lindholm with the deadline last year, which I think we all saw in the short term as being something the Bruins had done. But I think a lot of us forgot, okay, they signed him long term, and he's a tremendously talented defenseman who really, really helped them get through that early part of the season when Charlie McAvoy was out with injury. And has been, you know, outstanding for them offensively. Those those three things probably should have woken us up to the idea that the window is still very much open for the Bruins, and, and I think it's wide open. I mean, they're they're a terrific hockey team, and anything that they can do to improve their chances on trying to uh, grab that last cup in the Bergeron era, I think, is what they should do.
3: Yeah, this Atlantic Division is loaded. You got the Bruins there, and then you got the the Leafs figuring it out, it seems, and the Red Wings right behind them. Leafs and Wings play tonight. Uh, what have you noticed in Toronto's game over the last few games? After I guess since beating New Jersey there in overtime, or not in overtime, but beating New Jersey with the with the three disallowed goals. What have you noticed with the Maple Leafs <laughs> of late? Uh, have they've turned the corner? It seems.
0: Yeah, as long as the uh, league, yeah, as long as the league's helping, the them. with those disallowed goals. <laughs> and like, oh like, God! You know, there's a reason the situation Watch room out is for in, the in beer, uh, Toronto, but the, yeah, exactly. Oh my God. That was a hell of a thing. No, they've, they've done, they've obviously uh, done much better defensively. I think maybe since the beginning of the month um, that's helped uh, them, them uh, sort of turn the corner a little bit uh, on the road. They put up four spots against the Minnesota wild and the Pittsburgh yeah. Penguins. So the offense is, is starting to click a little bit and that's good news for them. I think that division is, is it's kind of the same thing as the Kraken in the Pacific, like the, the X factor is all of a sudden Detroit, <laughs> you know, yeah. you, if you're, if you're, if you're the Bruins and the Leafs, you're feeling pretty good about life, right? Because you've, you've obviously righted the ship. You're picking up points. But now all of a sudden, if you're Tampa and Florida, that third you know. spot, that third seed and that division with the way that Detroit has kind of become a contender all of a sudden uh, gets thrown into con- uh, into question. Probably a little bit more of a problem for the Panthers and the, than the Lightning. I think the Lightning looks fine. The Panthers uh, still trying to find their way after the, uh, the giant blockbuster with the Flames in the offseason. Um, but yeah, the ascension of the of the Red Wings, like you said, that division makes things a little bit interesting. Um, so it's good that the Leafs have sort of found their game after stumbling a little bit. Uh, and don't don't we all love the Toronto media folks where uh, they yeah. were you know demanding to speak to Kyle Dubis after three games <laughs> this season because they had to have a state of the Leafs address three games in the season. I'm like God, geez, it's a am- people again. It is not a wonder why they can't get out of the first round. Yep. When every single moment of that team season is scrutinized like it's Game 7. It's just insane.
1: Yeah, but it'd be so much fun to be a part of, don't you think? <laughs> <laughs> would it?
4: No, no, would it. it? Nope, no. Oh, at some at some point at some point, point you run out of stuff
0: to talk about. Like, yeah. you know, in my Twitter, I, I've never seen more discussion about like Justin Hole oh. in my entire life than on my Twitter feed cuz Leafs fans just get bored. They, they, they all have things to talk about, so they all have to figure <laughs> out what to talk about. And then the media looks on Twitter and they start talking about the thing. And all of a sudden, it's like game 22 of the season and <laughs> Justin Hall is making headlines on the back of the paper. You're like, what the hell's going on here?
1: Yep, yeah. Now, granted, I think the Leafs fans have probably seen a little bit too much of Justin Hall, considering their injuries, but at the same time, we're talking about Justin Hall here, guys. Uh, let's let's bring it all back <laughs> down to earth. Uh, last one here for you, Greg. Uh, and honestly, I probably should ask you about this earlier. But doing things linear, not really my style. Uh, Matthew Kachuk returns to Calgary tomorrow. What do you think, Matthew Kachuk is going to be like playing his former team? Obviously, he's only he only played for the Flames before this. It's going to be the first time we ever see Kachuk play against a a former team. I I'm very intrigued to see what type of Matthew Kachuk we get here at the Saddle Dome on Tuesday night.
0: Well, uh, this is a a good exchange of information moment for for me and you guys. Because I'm very – so is the perception of – what's the level of angst towards Kachuk vis-a-vis the level of angst towards Goudreau? Is there more because he was under contract and and kind of asked out versus Johnny being a U.F.A.? Is the same amount? Is there none? Like, where are we on that?
1: I believe, and feel free to let us know on the text line at 960960 if you agree, but from most of my conversations with Flames fans, people will be cheering for Matthew Kachuk to return because they see it more as Kachuk afforded the Flames an opportunity to go after a trade, and then they got these two great players in Huberto uh, and Uyghur. So we're not so mad at Matthew Kachuk, but Johnny Gaudreau, boy, can't wait to go to, to that game in January and boo him. No. Um, so that, yeah. that,
0: make, that makes total sense. Yeah, that makes total sense because like Johnny strung the flames along, mm-hmm. right? And, and, and until it's like a few days before the, the free agency opens, and all of a sudden it's like, you know, I've, I've decided to take my talents elsewhere. And then they don't have a chance to really – and Kachuk gave them a lot of runway and to be like, hey, here's what I'm thinking, and uh, and then you guys can act accordingly. That makes a ton of sense. So now, that makes yeah, – yeah, that makes a ton of sense.
1: Now the, I, I like that idea. The other thing I would say is that personally I believe that Matthew Kachuk has been painted in a nice light just because I think in a vacuum people would have been maybe a little bit more sour because this is still a guy – that requested a trade out before he became a UFA. Like, I think that that is still a significant thing. And it's not like this is a bad team. Like, this is a team that was in the playoffs and went to the second round last year. But because of what Johnny Goudreau did, people are kind of like, eh, we're not so mad at Matthew. He's not so bad. And and
0: let me proffer this, too. Two different kinds of players. Mm. You know, Johnny's, uh, there's no doubt Johnny's a superstar, but he's not the guy that, like, bled for you. You know what I mean? Like Kachuk was a different kind of guy. Like you think about all the battle of Alberta moments for him. I mean, I feel like maybe he endeared himself to the fan base in a different way. Does that make sense?
1: Yeah, exactly. Right. That's kind of, that's kind of how I feel with it at least. Yeah.
0: Okay. I like that. I'm glad we had this talk because I was curious about that. <laughs>
1: I And honestly, I'm very intrigued to see what tomorrow does. Now, granted, I I said this yesterday to a pal of mine. I said, I hope they do the kind of tribute video to Matthew Kachuk early on in the game. That way the fans can have their like, yay, Matthew Kachuk moment before he rats it up and they all turn on him completely 180, right? Yeah.
0: (laughs) Exactly. I I think that's probably a, a wise decision. But yeah, I mean, listen, he... He's, he's a special player. I'm, I'm still sad that it didn't work out in, in Calgary. I thought he was a really good fit for that market. But, uh, but he's doing his... Uh, you, have to, you have to admit, he's doing his thing in Florida, um, and they have to be pretty happy with it. We'll, we'll see if the ultimate gamble, which is we think we can win with Kachuk in the playoffs more than we can with Huberto, comes to fruition. And the problem for the Panthers right now is they might not be able to find out this season based on the way things are going.
1: So we've received three texts since I brought this up. Two would be in the... I'm okay with Matthew Kachuk, and one says screw Kachuk. So there's kind of just a quick quick little survey.
0: Was that third one from a Brad T? By yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Calgary, <laughs> or? Brad T in Calgary says, hmm, I don't know. That's strange. Uh, actually, no, this is a Daryl S. Uh, no, that's different. Okay. Uh, Greg, thanks for the time today, man. Uh, always enjoy it. Enjoy your Monday. We'll chat later. Thanks, buddy. Anytime. Thanks for having me. There you go. That's Greg Wachinski, ESPN senior writer for the NHL. Uh, he's been covering this league for a very long time. Yeah, and, man. uh Dialed in. Love Gwish.
3: Love all his insight. Uh, I mean, uh, I'm excited. Like He's he's a big Devils guy. Like, he and I'm and, like, we're, like it's, we haven't seen a Devils team do this type of stuff before. And good. they won three Stanley Cups. Don't get me wrong. But that was in a pre-salary cap era. Mm-hmm. a lot of tugging, a lot of... You know, like you know, Scott grabbing. Stevens yeah, was Scott literally Stevens. murdering people. Exactly. There's yeah. Ken Danico. You know, we could go through the lineup on that. Was they just won one game nineties, two
1: one. Just bet the under oh, every day.
3: F- <laughs> those Devil Flyers games back in the day. Oh my God, those <laughs> are some of the best uh, watching late nineties, early two thousands NHL. Yeah, just
1: thirty shots between the two teams. Yeah, just oh, Eric Lindros' career gets ruined in one of these yeah. games. Just kind of
3: find which one. Yeah, uh, yeah it's just. Uh, yeah, no. I'm excited for the Devils. I'm excited for Jack Hughes. Excited for that market. The way it started, fire Lindy, chants in the first game, and now they're saying chanting sorry Lindy. <laughs> yeah, like it's. A, I'm very intrigued. a smart to see hockey market too. Like that's a that's an yep. educated place. They so love happens their hockey there. Yeah, people get dialed in and they start to figure out the rules by the and second or third cup. And in the the new NHL, say 05 on, the, it hasn't been the same success for the New Jersey Devils. So. Uh I'm really excited to see where
1: they're gonna where their season's headed. Jesper Brad's so interesting yeah. to me cuz like Craig said like and and you mentioned it, he's dialed with the Devils. Yeah. Those contract negotiations have been an absolute battle. Oh yeah. Nothing has been easy between those two clubs and I personally from the outside after the year that Brad had last year I was like what are we what are we talking about here guys this is this dude can play with Jack Hughes and Nico Heischer and be a point per game player. Mm-hmm. You you watch him and you're like there's there's a little bit of everything here. Speed, mm-hmm. offensive skill, sees the ice well. Yeah. But the question is what is that what's that dollar look like, I guess. Mm-hmm. You know, he comes in this year at a at a pretty modest 5.45 given what he's already started to do. He's a point per game player mm-hmm. to start the year. Point per game player last year. Yeah, uh, Greg mentioned can uh, play either side of the wing.
3: Exactly. Like Yasperat uh, is uh, is an intriguing player to watch. And, and going back even further, to the Devils like on their defense with a guy like John so Marino, long. or anybody could have had him. That's a good point. Thirty two teams could have had their crack at John. Well, thirty one, I guess. I don't think like the,
1: the, was it the
3: Penguins that ended up mm-hmm. releasing him. So I don't think the Penguins obviously well, they traded him. Traded, traded
1: Devils them. because they yeah. were in a cap crunch, but. I know what you mean.
3: But yeah, anybody could have had him like that. So, and then you guys show up like that. There's Siegenthaler, and it's like, (laughs) like
1: I love this team. I believe I was chatting with uh, Peter Labardius, and I believe he was saying Ryan McGill, who runs the defense there Mm -hmm. Uh, previously with the Vegas Golden Knights. Um actually a Sherwood Park native does really good work with defense, defenseman, mm-hmm. and uh, should be given some credit when you look at the way that John Marino has completely turned away his game, turned around his game, yep. uh, especially in a defensive kind of style. Because okay. like you mentioned, this is a guy that Pittsburgh deemed replaceable yep. for the dollar that he was at. Mm-hmm. Pennies on the dollar is what they traded him for. And now anytime you hear someone talk about the Devils, they're praising <laughs> John Marino. And he just got given a away from league. Pittsburgh. Boy, is it ever. We'll take a break around the corner. Uh, a little uh, a little footy. World Cup continues down in Qatar, and we go to Qatar. Peter Galindo will join us around the corner. Uh, Greg Wushinski joined us down the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline, and so will Peter Galindo after the break. Sports at 960 The Fan you're listening to the big show on the official home of your calgary
0: flames sportsnet 960 the fan
1: welcome back to the program it's the big show in the morning my name is Matt rose sitting in today for george rusick is patty dumas rusick will be back tomorrow patty dumas pardon me alex brody garrett vanderplug running the board in the other room is Patty Dumas. It's cross from me. We are live in the Doug Lacey Basement Systems downtown studio wet basement. We have a lasting solution to keep your basement dry. If you experience any water in your basement, contact Basement Systems. They are all things basementy. Visit dlbasementsystems.com. Wrapping up the program today, we got a, uh, a little footy report coming up before we say goodbye and uh, hand the reins over to Going Deep with Donovan Bennett. The Jeff Merrick Show will be at 10. We'll have the Raptors show with Will Lew at noon. Francis back for another edition of the Eric Francis Show for the Alberta horse racing and breeding industry. That'll go at 1 o'clock. Sportsnet today with Logan Gordon at 2. Got the Hockey PDO cast. And then Flames Talk with Steinberg at 4. So, lots to get No to. telethon today, though. No telethon today, as the Flames do not play until Tuesday when they welcome Matthew Kachuk and the Florida Panthers to town. We go down to Alice Pizza and Sports Bar, guest hotline, uh, to chat with Peter Galindo, who is live from Qatar, Sportsnet soccer columnist, uh, joining us down the guest hotline. Peter, thanks for taking some time today.
4: Yeah, appreciate it, guys. Thank you for having me on.
1: Yeah, uh, not a problem whatsoever. Uh, here. Back home, a lot of people yesterday getting up for that crack of dawn, 9 a.m. start after whatever they were doing Saturday night. Uh, Canada gets out to the early lead, but as the game went on, Croatia just showed why they are one of those teams that's been a power in soccer for a long time. What did you make of the 4-1 loss to Croatia yesterday?
4: Ooh, uh, loaded question, where do I start? Um, I, I suppose the the two big picture things that I'd look at in terms of where I guess it went wrong for Canada and keep in mind that I mean Croatia as you mentioned is a world-class side they have arguably the best midfield trio at this tournament being able to get a result against them would have taken a monumental performance and to be fair we did see Morocco kind of contain them but there were even moments when Croatia was threatening them and narrowly escaped with a nil-nil draw Canada In essence, I think, in a lot of ways, their naivete caught up to them. There were a lot of times when they just became irresponsible with some of their defensive responsibilities. They were constantly throwing men forward by only playing with a midfield uh, pivot in the center against Croatia's trio. That meant that players got stretched. And by trying to go constantly for the killer through ball, Mm -hmm. which wasn't coming off, Croatia would then intercept it pretty much transition the other way as quickly as possible and you saw just how clinical they were in those moments but basically that that's really what it came down to John Herbman mentioned after the game that it was really just little details that made the difference and at this level when you have the likes of Luka Modric, Mateo Kovacic, Marcelo Brozovic, Ivan Perisic in that side who have won trophies at the absolute highest level and consistently you fall asleep for a second, they're going to punish you, and it, this is really one of the first times Canada has not been so in tune with the details of the game because that's really why they got here in the first place is that they never really let anything go under the radar, but yesterday, unfortunately for them, they did.
3: Uh, obviously, uh, getting that goal out of the way, that's a big moment uh, for the for the country and the team, obviously. like Just how important of a moment was it for the sport Uh, or did it, was it big or did the rest of the 88 minutes leave a sour taste in your mouth?
4: Well, no, I still think it is a significant moment, Mm -hmm. no doubt, even if they ended up losing four to one, um, because I mean, first of all, it's history, right? I mean, that is literally a Canadian heritage moment. Um, you know, and, and one of the biggest moments in Canadian soccer history, right up there with the women winning gold with, you know, the, that Canada USA game in 2012, um, the, you know, the the two bronze medals, all that. It's, it's right up there. So it's still significant because you, you accomplished that goal. You, you did what the eighty six 16 couldn't, and you scored a goal at a World Cup, at a Men's World Cup. Um, now, it, it's obviously a little demeaned in terms of the fact that they did lose 4-1. Like, I think if they had gone out valiantly and, okay, Croatia, fair enough, show their superior quality and win 2-1 or even 3-1 off a late goal, I think you take that. But I think the way the whole game panned out, because it was such a positive start, and then slowly but surely Croatia grabbed control, end up winning the game the way they did, it, it does take away a little bit from it. But it's still absolutely a significant moment and one that could still, you know, I, I guess have an impact in terms of future generations.
3: For sure. Uh, a lot of a lot of talk on Twitter and social media yesterday was about the the tactics and the the use of subs from John Herdman. What it might have been one of the first times that he's really gotten them wrong. You'd think, eh?
4: Yeah, I tweeted that. Um, and look, to be fair, I think it was a combination of a few things. But certainly, Herdman's tactics were a bit questionable. Um, I had been saying for weeks and months, and I know it's easy to say this now, but that he probably should have gone with a trio in the midfield just because not so much that you could match Croatia possession for possession, but just for ample cover defensively off the ball. If you look at all the teams that have been able to successfully defend against Croatia and you know, you even look as recently as that Morocco game, they've all pretty much played with three in the middle. Um, You know, you have, one of the midfielders kind of screening that area in front of Marcelo Brozovic, the deepest lying midfielder. You have the other two Mm -hmm. midfielders kind of going man for man against Modric and Kovacic. And then um, you you have another player, whether that's a center back or the deepest lying midfielder, screening that area in front of the defense, just to make sure that nothing kind of gets through there. That's what Morocco did. And they were able to shut down Croatia. So that's why I'm a little surprised that Herman went with two half fit players in Hutchinson and Mm Estacchio and didn't really try to provide any other additional support. Um, and on top of that, why they didn't try to get Buchanan and Davies wider, because that's one thing Morocco really did against Croatia. And that's really what you do against teams that are going to dominate the central areas. You spread the ball wide, you try to drag out the shape, um, especially for Croatia, who often their wingers aren't too diligent tracking back themselves. So if you can just release any of Canada's fullbacks or Buchanan or Davies into that space, chances are there's going to be some room to exploit, whether that's via cutback, across, Mm -hmm. what have you. So I think it was a combination of Herdman's tactics. um, The fact that the players seem to go rogue in that regard, like it almost seemed like their reflexes or emotions kind of took over at times. And then also, I just think certain circumstances, like a Shaquille getting hurt probably didn't help the fact that, I think Herdman ultimately had to keep Atiba Hutchinson yeah, exactly. out there because to me the the one area he did do well in, and Herdman did point this out, you could see that Canada's defense was frazzled by Croatia's high press in mm-hmm. possession, but when they had the outlet of Stakio or Hutchinson to play through, they would then turn it around, progress the ball towards a, a Laren or a David who dropped deep, they would then turn around and recycle possession towards a Buchanan or a Johnston or a Lorea or a Davies, and then they would be free in, in space one-on-one against Croatia's defenders. Those were the times when you saw Hutchinson's quality, just being able to calmly and assuredly get the ball past that initial line of engagement of Croatia. And with Ashtakio getting hurt, I do wonder if Herdman looked at his options and thought, well, I really have three choices here. Uh, either keep Atiba Hutchinson on and just accept the fact that he probably won't have the legs to cover all this space and hope that maybe some of our p- other players can be defensively responsible and track back quicker and, and close down those gaps because the shape was a bit stretched, to be fair. Yeah. Um, the second option is bring on Samuel Piette, who, you know, yes, he's a bit more defensive-minded or can be more defensive-minded, but I feel like against Japan and Uruguay, his lack of speed, especially on the ball and especially against that pace of play would have been exposed anyway. So mm-hmm. that, that probably wasn't viable. And then the third option is, as he's often been the, the man for this role, throw Liam Fraser into the deep end, give him his World Cup debut. And yes, he can calmly progress the ball from those deep areas, but it would have been a really tricky situation for him to be thrown into. So I, I feel like Herman assessed all three of those options and thought, listen, I kind of have to go with Atiba here. He's the one who's, who's comfortable in these situations. I'll, I'll just take the 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 fact that he's on three days rest and maybe a little tired as a symptom of that and hope that the team kind of figures it out. But unfortunately for Herdman and the players, they didn't really do that.
3: We're talking with Peter Galindo, Sportsnet soccer columnist, live from Qatar. Uh, now, just one more group stage match for Canada. It will be on uh, Thursday against mm. Morocco. Uh, obviously, don't know the full uh, full the gauge of the health there, but would we assume we'd see some guys getting uh, getting some uh, debuts here on uh, in their final group stage game?
4: Yeah, possibly. I, I could see one or two guys getting out there. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I imagine John Hurtosorio didn't hurt his chances of getting a no, start based on what he showed in those forty five minutes. Um, he was. Very, very good. In fact, probably could have gotten Canada back level if, if it yeah. wasn't for just a shot that narrowly missed the far post. Um, and, and again, you kind of saw what happened by putting a trio in there, ended up doing to Canada for those first 15 minutes of the second half. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I think he is in contention to start. That's probably at the expense of one of the forwards. I would imagine it's Kyle Lahren. Um And then from there... I could pr- potentially see Sam Adekubi starting over yes. one of Lorea or Johnston because they have played quite a bit. Um, I'm sure they could use a rest. Um, other than that, I think everything is really, at this point, it's a bit too early to tell. I guess we'll get some updates and training over the next couple of days just in terms of how Eshtacu and Hutchinson are doing. But I would imagine at least one of them, if not both of them, at the very least won't go more yeah. than 30 to 45 minutes in that game, just given how tight the turnaround would be.
3: Uh, last one for me, Peter. Like, What's next? We got uh, we got Nations League coming up in March. There's a Gold Cup mm-hmm. next year. I, I've heard there's, there's some rumblings, maybe and internet rousings, but like maybe a possible invite to the 2024 Copa America as Canada preps for mm-hmm. 2026. So what, what are we looking for over the next four-year cycle here for this team to progress? And obviously, 2026 is the goal. They want to advance out of that one.
4: Yeah, 100% they do. And... I do think that there is a very real possibility here that Canada could end up winning two trophies here over the next eight months or so because they'll be favored to get through their Nations League group, get to the semifinals, and then probably to the final of the Nations League where I think then they could compete for a title there and then also the Gold Cup. Um, And the fact that they don't have qualifiers to play, same with the U.S. and Mexico, I think that's going to be a very competitive tournament probably one of the most competitive we've seen in quite a while and honestly that's why I think guys like Hutchinson like Milan Borean or Steven Vittoria who are on you know the wrong side of 30 who might be considering retiring after this World Cup might be convinced to stick around just to kind of go out on a high yeah because yes okay Canada maybe has shown that while they are learning and while they are still at a certain stage in their evolution um Maybe this World Cup came a little too soon for them in terms of making an overall impact, but mm-hmm. certainly in CONCACAF, they will be a contender. So that's something to look forward to in 2023. hopefully they get the Copa America because that would test themselves against more yeah. world-class opposition, which is never a bad thing, especially as you try to get more big-game experience for your players. Um, and with some of them moving over to Europe, like Alistair Johnston, potentially mm-hmm. others to follow in January and, and June with Ishmael Kone and whatnot, Um Let's hope that that also helps prepare them even more just by playing in those high pressure environments every week.
1: Peter, really appreciate the time today. Uh thank you so much. And we're very much looking forward to this third match, even though Canada has been eliminated. Uh still it's there's something special about uh got to win here in the Anthem we're at the Morocco's World Cup and, and like Patty said, having the chance to uh ruin some other dreams for another country. It's great. Love it. Uh but Peter, thank you so much.
4: <laughs> thank you guys. Thanks a lot,
1: buddy. There you go. Peter Galindo joins us uh, from Qatar, Sportsnet soccer columnist uh, covering the World Cup. And speaking of that big soccer tournament down in Qatar, our boy Alex Brody has the latest. It's been a busy morning. It's been a busy morning. He's got the latest on what's been going down. What's going on, Mr. Broads? This soccer report is brought to you by CertainTeed,
2: the pro's choice for roofing, siding, drywall, insulation, and ceiling systems. CertainTeed, pro all the way. And like you guys said, it has been a goal fest today, so I'll do my best to bring you up to speed on today's action here. First up on the docket, Georgia-Serbia taking on Cameroon in the first match of the day. Both teams coming off losses in their first games, meaning a result was pretty much necessary here today. This one, a goal fest. Some would say match of the tournament so far. But before I get to that, a bit of a controversy that I didn't touch on in the earlier report. Cameroon goalkeeper Andre Onana leaving the team and the tournament after a disagreement with Cameroon manager Rigobert Song over goalkeeping styles. Now, apparently even footballing legend Samuel Eto'o even tried to step in to conduct some peace talks, but to no avail. My understanding is Song wanted Onana to play a bit less of a riskier game, but Onana would not budge. This means backup goalkeeper Davis Epasi was between the posts for their match today. And the match started off well for Cameroon. Defender Jean-Charles Castelletto put them ahead with a header off a corner. But Serbia, responding through Strahinja Pavlovic and Sergei Milinkovic-Savic to put them ahead just before halftime. Sure. Alexander Mitrovic, the Fulham striker, looked to have put the Serbs into comfortable territory after he made it 3-1 early in the second half. But Cameroon responded with two goals of their own from Vincent Abu Bakar and Eric Maxim Chupo Moting. This one ends 3-3. And so here's the funny thing. Cameroon manager Song uh-huh. attributes the comeback win to the uh-huh. departure of goalkeeper Onana. Oh, Amazing. God.
1: Great. Just Amazing. an
2: interesting situation there. <laughs> Both teams grabbing a point, but Cameroon having to meet tournament favorites Brazil in their final game does, means it does not look too good for them. And depending on the Switzerland result today, which comes up right, right away here, It could come down to a head-to-head matchup between Switzerland and Serbia to see who advances from that group. Obviously, we'll get more on that, but things might be a little awkward here on Friday between George and myself. And wrapping up earlier, Ghana took down South Korea 3-2. VAR on the good side of things in this one. It ruled a Mohamed Salisu goal as onside to give Ghana a 1-0 lead. And oh boy, did Education City Stadium enter pandemonium after that. Ghana, fans showed up. It was pretty insane. It was dancing in
3: there, it was partying. Mm.
2: They would add another through Mohamed Kudus Ghana and control 2-0 at halftime. But South Korea storming back, Cho ge Sung added two goals, both from headers, to tie this one at two. Cho becomes the first Asian player to score two header goals in one game ever. At the tournament a big deal for the side and we were all tied at two but ghana were not done just yet mohammed kudos grabbing his second of the game in the 68th minute that would be all she wrote ghana wins this one three to two not looking good for my dark dark horse pick south korea and coming up in just mere minutes here tournament favorites brazil taking on switzerland both these teams coming off wins in their opening games that being said brazil will be without their star neymar due to ankle concerns. I don't think Brazil will be too upset, though. They have so much quality up front. Oh, yeah. The last time these teams met at the 2018 edition of the tournament, it was a surprising 1-1 draw. My fingers are crossed for the Swiss on this one. And to wrap up action on the day, Portugal will be taking on Uruguay. Both these teams expected to get out of their group, but Uruguay will be the more desperate team as they only were able to grab a single point from their previous match. This is a star-studded match. I would argue a must-watch This one goes at noon. And this soccer report is brought to you by CertainTeed, the pro's choice for roofing, siding, drywall, insulation, and ceiling systems. CertainTeed, for all the way.
1: We love them over at CertainTeed, and we love them over behind the wall there. Alex Brody and GVP just doing an outstanding job today. Tomorrow, Mm -hmm. we're going to tee up the Panthers and the Flames for you. Matthew Kachuk is going to be in the Saddle Dome. There will be plenty of eyes. We'll find out how George's time away was. Yeah. We'll break down the Monday nighter between the Colts and the Steelers. I almost said Penguins. <laughs> um, and that'll pretty much be it. That'll be a program. Mm-hmm. A little bit more World Cup reports. Oh, yeah. We got some guests booked already. Not yet. Not yet. We'll put some things we'll, in we'll We got we some, some ideas. We got some ideas. Or some guests that we're going to book for tomorrow's program. Yes. So we're looking forward to it uh george will be back thanks for sticking around uh for the last eight days we really appreciate it gvp great job buddy oh he's still hey, here sir. tomorrow
3: yeah, i'm here tomorrow too oh because
1: i'm out i'm out <sighs> great okay <Come> <laughs> oh <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> just get him pal uh all right well we'll, we'll give weight. donovan bennett's coming up next going deep then it's the merrick show You know the deal. Elliot Friedman will kick it off, and uh, they'll have all sorts of guests on the hottest topics around the NHL. Keep it locked, fellas. Talk to you tomorrow. Bye-bye.